reading, when we read about Jesus, even in his humiliation, even as he's walking towards the cross, and everything seems to be out of control, we can read this knowing that God is in control. And that God is going to work out his purposes. And we're jumping into the middle of a trial. Mark has slowed down quite a lot. And we've seen his trial with the Pharisees, or really the religious leadership as a whole, and they condemned him, a man they knew to be innocent, guilty of blasphemy, but they didn't have the power to do what they really wanted to do, which was to kill him, to get rid of him so that they don't have to deal with this guy anymore, this popular figure that seems to be able to draw everyone to himself. But they know someone who can Let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 15. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation or had a plan with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, that's Passover... He used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews. For he perceived it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the, the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, or So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. 
and they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. This is God's word. And God's word here is describing really the most horrendous scene that you could possibly imagine. Not that other people haven't been crucified. That has happened in history. Probably other people have received just as brutal of a treatment as Jesus. But we really can't fathom and put our minds around the amount of pain that crucifixion was engineered to put on a man. And we can't also imagine the amount of shame that was engineered in this process. The Romans had become very, very good at shaming and at causing pain to the worst of criminals to make sure no one repeated their crimes. But the point of difference here with Jesus... Yes, he suffered an amount of pain, a great amount of pain. But Jesus was the first innocent man to suffer for a crime he did not commit. And his innocence was not just not being guilty of one particular crime. That has also happened. People have been condemned to death who didn't commit the crime. The point of difference with Jesus is that he was the God of the universe. Not only had he not ever broken this particular law that he was accused of, he never broke any law, ever. Even Job could not say that about his suffering. Jesus is the only truly innocent sufferer. And what we see here in Mark, just in the introduction, we haven't even gotten to the crucifixion yet. This is just the prelude. But we see that the abuse and shame has already begun. And not only does Peter predict this would have happened, not only did Isaiah predict it, but Jesus himself knew that this would happen. That last scene with the soldiers. Almost all those words are Quoted by Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verses 33 through 34. In Mark chapter 10, Mark predicted this saying, See, we are going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes. They will condemn him to death. That happened last week. And deliver him over to the nations. That is Pilate, who's the governor. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. The question that we always come to whenever we have something like this, an innocent sufferer, is heightened in the case of Jesus. Why? Why did Jesus have to go through so much? Why did Jesus have to be 
and go through maybe the worst deaths engineered to cause shame, humiliation, and pain. Well, Jesus already had said it before the incident. When he predicted his death at the very end of Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he explained his own death. He said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. But how does Mark communicate this in this passage? How does Mark communicate that Jesus here is dying to save his people. That he's dying to save those who would believe in him. It's kind of the way a painting works. I'll be honest with you, for a long period of my life, I really didn't get to, wasn't really too interested in art. And a lot of my disconnection with this, I just didn't really understand it couldn't get why, especially things like Picasso or different abstract art, I didn't get the significance, didn't see the picture they were trying to paint. And all, all of it seemed to be in the eye of the interpreter, which that's not really my thing. I was a biology major. I like cold, hard facts. But I made a friend while I was working in a pharmacy, a guy by the name of Mike Phillips, who he taught art. And after his wife had passed away, I wanted to engage with him. And I asked him if he could please just convince me about, you know, teach me about art. I want to appreciate it. And the amazing thing is that he kind of, he taught at the university, or uh, Ohio State University at one point in his life. And he kind of went me, took me through a class of his. And we engaged on it. And what I noticed is that what he could do for me is he could take me through the background story of the picture. He could teach me about the symbolism of what they're trying to communicate. He could show me even the art strokes, the techniques that were like references, quotes of other artists. What he did was brought it to life and showed me how the author... The artist, rather, had woven in his painting all these beautiful details. And that's what it took for me to appreciate it. And what we see in this, this vivid, brutal picture here are so many different themes woven through. Themes of irony. The only innocent man being committed to death, found guilty. But more than that, we see the shame combined with that innocence. We see the horror of, it, horror of it all. And what becomes completely obvious to everyone is that Jesus is not suffering for his own sins. We are supposed to ask that question. Why is he suffering when he did nothing wrong? So let's follow that track. Let's unfold this picture, to see these details, to see Mark's answer of why Jesus is suffering and how it's a ransom to pay for sinners. The first thing that happens in our text is that the charge is translated. The charge is translated. 
the Roman government really didn't care that some guy broke Jewish laws. Your government probably also doesn't care that you have broken God's law at some point here, some point there. The government's interested when you break their laws. So in order to condemn Jesus, they did have to come up with a plan. And the plan involved multiple steps, as we see. It's their plan that was successful in putting Jesus to death, not Pilate's. And their plan is the first step in it is to translate this charge of blasphemy into something that, that he would care about. What would Pilate care about? Well, he serves only one king. He serves Caesar. And what he's done here is they've made this connection that he called himself the Christ, making himself equal with God. They put it into his language. Someone else is claiming to be the king of the Jews. And Jesus here does the same thing he did with the religious leadership. He's completely silent. And his silence amazes Pilate. It amazes him because think about how Pilate's interactions would have went in the past. He was used to people coming up to him and being fearful, begging for their life. People who knew that he had the power in his hands over their life and over their death. Pilate really didn't care for the Jewish people. He could care less about playing their game. He was actually pretty brutal with them. ...as Luke 13 records. And I don't want to add more brutality to this already brutal scene. Pilate deals brutally with them all the time. He's okay with murdering people. He's okay with quelling insurrections. But he hasn't had a man who hasn't defended himself. A man who doesn't fear him. A man who's able to stand before him... Give him the only answer to the question. The only answer that he needed to condemn him to death. He says, when, after he asked him this question, are you the king of the Jews? He says, you say it. Or as the more interpretive version of that, that you have said so. There's a certain sense in which he's just answering. There's, we could maybe translate this loosely some other ways. That, from your perspective, yeah, I'm king of the Jews. Or, I wouldn't say it that way, but as you understand it, yes. That is your way of speaking. Interestingly, when Paul tries to convince Timothy to, have, to be bold, to stand on the good confession of his faith... He references Jesus here and says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13, he talks about Jesus saying that he made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Therefore, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made a good confession. Jesus here in his silence and his answer 
He's giving Pilate and he's giving the Jews what they want. John 18, though, shows that he gave them more details than just that. In this line of questioning between Pilate and Jesus, John chapter 18 records in verse 36 that he answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And then Pilate's mocking phrase that we all remember. What is truth? Pilate saw through what they were doing here. Did you notice that he brought up the trade and he thought he found out this, this whole mechanism of bringing up Barabbas because he saw their envy of Jesus? Pilate was not a dumb man. He saw what they were doing. He knew that he was innocent of the treason, the type of treason that they were condemning him for. Jesus was the same person in Mark chapter 12 who said... Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. See, Jesus claimed to be a king, but it was not the same kind of kingdom that created.